Church, there is a uh, there is a very specific season in our society. There's a very specific season in in our culture that I, as a Christian, that I uh, particularly as a pastor, have really have really come to dread in my lifetime. And uh, I'd even go so far as to say that I, that I, that, I, that I loathe and I despise this particular season of our lives. And of course, I'm talking about the election season. We are in the final throes, as all of y'all are aware, of another midterm election, which is going to be decided Tuesday, a week a week from Tuesday. When all that's over, some of you guys are going to be very, very happy. When all that is over, some of you guys are going to be not so happy at all. And as I am sure you are all aware, this is probably the most important election of our lifetimes. Just like the one before that, just like the one before that, just like the one before that, right? Now, I don't want y'all to start getting jittery. I don't want y'all to get all start getting all nervous and stuff or squirmy about what I'm about to talk about. I know Sandy is already sinking down into her pew a little bit, <coughs> worried about it. Parker probably too. He don't care. <coughs> I am... Uh, I'm not going to tell you guys who to vote for. That's not what this sermon is about. Although it's going to involve politics and it's going to involve the electoral season. This sermon is not about telling you guys who to vote for and, or how to vote. I don't do that and I don't believe in that at all. Um, I've told a number of you people before in private conversations. Y'all have never, in over a year and a half at this point, y'all have never, I don't even know that I've preached a single sermon on politics in general but I've certainly never preached a partisan-related sermon, and I never will preach a partisan-related sermon. There's plenty of pastors out there, plenty of wrong pastors out there who are more than willing to do that, and I am not one of them. I don't preach anybody as God-supported candidate. I don't preach anybody, any political ideology as God-supported political ideology because I don't know these things, and neither do we. There's not a single person on earth that knows these things. And if they tell you otherwise, they are wrong. So you'll never hear me preach that. I promise you that. However, as Christians, during the electoral season, just as in any other season of our lives, it is pertinent, as Kevin mentioned in the, more, in the, in the beginning of the service, that we remember, that we understand who our boss is, who our leader is. And our leader is Jesus. That means that we conduct ourselves, we think, we act, we speak through these times just as Jesus tells us to think, to speak, and to act. And from my personal experience, from what I see, from what I view, this tends to be an area where we, not, not Beamish United Methodist, not talking about, no, not talking about my, our church in general, I'm not talking about anybody specific here at all, I'm talking about the church in general, particularly in our country. We fail miserably at this very, very often. We fail miserably at reflecting the attitude of our leader, the one who, say, who we claim to follow. So that's what this is about. It's about allegiance. Who, where is our allegiance? And if it's Jesus, how do we live that out? During electoral seasons, political seasons, in our political thoughts, our ideologies, how we treat people. That's what this is about. Where is our ultimate allegiance? Because this concerns me 
as a pastor, but also just as a Christian in general. Jesus first. There was a slogan a few years ago, America first, Jesus first, if we're going to call ourselves Christians. Now, I know what you guys are thinking right now. Yeah, Jesus is first in my life. Jesus is my first priority. My ultimate ultimate allegiance is to Christ all the time. Yeah, sure, absolutely, Jesus comes first in my life. But in this season, I want to challenge you on that thought. Okay, I want to ask you some questions. I want you guys to think a little bit deeper. Here's a few of them. How does my understanding of who Jesus is and who Jesus calls me to be, how does that line up with the way that I think and the way that I talk about those with whom I disagree? How does my understanding of who Jesus is and who Jesus calls me to be line up with the way that I think and the way that I talk about those I deem to be political adversaries? How does my understanding of Jesus' commands, how much do we talk about this at Bemis United Methodist Church, how does my understanding of Jesus' commands to love God and to love neighbor line up with my own political views, my thoughts on political policy, or who I choose to vote for? Here's the ultimate question. Are my political leanings and my political conversations, my social media presence, are these things fueled by an allegiance to Jesus that expresses themselves through love, grace, hospitality, generosity, compassion, humility? Or are they fueled by something else? Church, I'm going to tell you, I think if we're honest with ourselves, we're going to have to admit that when we're faced with some of the harsh reality of questions like this, maybe we're not 100% on board with Jesus. Now, Christ doesn't tell us how to vote. He doesn't give us his opinion on public policy. But there are a number of places throughout Scripture that addresses our relationship as Christians to government, how we talk about, how we treat those that we deem to be political adversaries, and where we're called to place our political allegiance. I want to take a quick look at a scripture out of the Gospel of Matthew, Matthew chapter 22, <clears throat> verses 15 through 22. This is an interesting situ- situation that Jesus finds himself in. <clears throat> but start in verse 15. And I'm going to breeze through this real real quick because it's kind of a lengthy scripture. The Pharisees went out and they laid plans to trap Jesus in his words. That's very important. They're already setting a trap for Christ. They tell us that from the get-go. So they sent their disciples to him along with the Herodians. Teacher, they said, we know that you are a man of integrity and that you teach the way of God in accordance with the truth. You aren't swayed by others because you pay no attention to who they are. Tell us then, what is your opinion? Is it right to pay the imperial tax to Caesar? But Jesus, knowing their evil intent, said, You hypocrites, why are you trying to trap me? Show me the coin used for paying the tax. So they brought him a denarius, which is a small Roman coin. And he asked them, Whose image is on this? Whose image is this? And whose inscription? Caesar's, they replied. So Jesus said to him, So give back to Caesar what is Caesar, and give to God what is God's. And when they heard this, they were amazed, so they left him and they went away. It's the word of God for the people of God. A lot of times when you hear this particular scripture preached, the topic is going to revolve around taxes and and paying a portion of our income to the government. 
Uh, that, may be, that may be a good or one application of these verses, but keeping it solely to the, to, the, to the subject, the topic of whether or not we pay our taxes, really misses the big picture of the intent of this scripture. This scripture is all about allegiance. The religious leaders weren't questioning Jesus about paying taxes. They weren't concerned with tax money at all. They were concerned about him displaying his allegiance. Who was, where and to whom was his ultimate allegiance pledged to? So when they asked Christ, is it right to pay the imperial tax to Caesar? If Christ had said that, yeah, they should pay the tax to Caesar, then that would have been him basically saying that the Roman government was more, empowered, more important to, than God. Consequently, they could have persecuted him for that. They could have persecuted him for his disloyalty to God. Now, on the other hand, if Jesus said that it was wrong to pay taxes to Caesar, they could have reported him to the government for trying to undermine who was in control. So basically they're saying, who should we follow? Who should we follow? Should we follow God or should we follow Caesar? Jesus being Jesus gives them an answer they didn't expect. He says, give to each, give to God and give to government what each should have. So how do we do that? How do we do that? What does that look like? How do we give to God and give to government what is rightfully there? How do we keep our ultimate allegiance to God can we, get, can we at least get on one, one of the same page here? Should our ultimate allegiance be to Jesus? Okay, thank you. How do we do that? How do we keep our ultimate allegiance to God and at the same time, as Christians, participate in the political process and support the country in which we reside? I want to give you a few suggestions. And if I'm talking really fast, I'm sorry, but I've got a long, long sermon, and I do, y'all know I like to do my best to try to get you out of here. But I want to lay down a few suggestions of how we go about doing that. And the first is the absolute primary point of this entire message. Allegiance. Remember where your primary allegiance is. Jesus and his kingdom. Jesus and his kingdom ethics. Let me repeat that. Number one, your primary allegiance is to Jesus and his kingdom. Jesus and his kingdom ethics. Philippians Chapter 3, verse 20 reads this and reminds us in no uncertain terms. We are citizens of heaven where the Lord Jesus Christ lives and we are eagerly waiting for him to return as our Savior. Church, as Christians, we have what you might think of as a dual citizenship. Okay? We have an earthly citizenship here in the United States and we have citizenship in God's kingdom. Oftentimes we call that heaven, which I need to remind you now is not just the afterlife. The kingdom of God is here and we're living in it right now. The kingdom of God was initiated on earth, on earth with the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And if you are a Christian today, if you claim to be a follower of Christ, you are living in that kingdom right now. And you have the opportunity, one of the greatest opportunities in the world, and that's to show the world around us the awesomeness of what God's kingdom looks like, how different it looks from our culture, how different it looks from our society. So that's where we are, and that is the primary kingdom where we hold residency. It's here and it's now. It's the movement of God that started on earth with Jesus Christ. Here's the thing, church. Only one of these places of residency is going to last forever. And as much as I love the United States, as great as a country as it is, that ain't it. One day, the U.S., the entire planet, is going to be replaced with what John refers to 
in the book of Revelation as a new heaven and a new earth. What we have here, what we, where we are now is temporary. God's kingdom eventually is coming in its fullness. And it's going to be eternal. What does that mean in regards to government, secular politics? It means our first priority isn't this earthly kingdom, church. It's the heavenly one. And it's the heavenly one that we get to participate right here and right now. It's about living out those kingdom values of loving God, loving neighbor, and every aspect of our lives. Yes, our political lives. Right here, right now, while we're here. You've heard me say it before. It's about revealing God's kingdom on earth as it is in heaven. Why do you think he taught us to pray that? Because it happens through us. Our main allegiance is always to our king. King Jesus, not our earthly kingdoms. Church, this may be hard, a hard pill for us to swallow for some reason. And this, this proves, this is a hard pill for you to swallow. This proves what is influencing more, influencing you more in your life. The secular stuff that you're taking in or the Bible or Jesus. But here's the thing. If the love for our country, and I love our country, but if love for our country, for our earthly kingdom comes before our love and our service to Jesus, our priorities are way off track. Some of us need to be seriously asking ourselves this questions. This question, are we Americans first or are we Christians first? Are we Americans first or are we disciples and followers of Jesus first? Which leads us to our second point, or our second suggestion I want to give you. We keep our allegiance to Jesus first by refusing to mesh together or to confuse our political ideologies and our allegiances with our faith, with our Christianity. I repeat it again. We refuse to mesh together or to confuse our political ideologies, our political leanings, and our allegiances with our Christian faith. This is seriously, seriously dangerous territory, church. I can't overemphasize this. Our political beliefs, our thoughts about public policy, elections, social issues, how we vote should be informed by Jesus. Not by social media, not by our preferred source of news, by Jesus. What's influencing you more? This or CNN? Or Fox News. Our political ideologies, police, should be influenced by Christ, first and foremost. Our faith should inform our politics, not the other way around. Again, that sounds pretty obvious. I don't think most, a lot of us get that, though. A lot of us fall into the trap of allowing our politics to inform our faith. That may seem obvious on the surface, but sometimes we do it. Let me give you an extreme example an extreme example of what happens, what can happen, when we try to mesh together our political ideologies, our secular political ideologies, our pursuit for power, our pursuit for control, when we try to mesh those things together with our Christianity. Lorelai, throw that slide up for me. Y'all see that? I'm going to tell you what that is in a second, but that should absolutely make your stomach churn as much as it makes my stomach churn. 
What you're looking at is a picture of an altar, a church altar, in Nazi Germany during the reign of Hitler and the Third Reich. During that time, the German church, the church, folks, the church, failed miserably in its allegiance to Jesus by supporting Hitler and supporting the extermination of the Jewish people. What you're looking at here wasn't a rare occurrence. This was common. That's a church altar, man. That's a church altar with a Nazi flag right there. If you can see it, there's a crucifix up here at the top. There's some more of the Nazi flags decorating the place. By the way, another common practice during the church, during, in the German church during that time is to have parents would have their children baptized, not in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, but in the name of Hitler. I'm not making that up. Y'all can, can check that out yourselves. How did that happen? How did the church of Jesus, how did the church of mercy, grace, and compassion fail so horribly? And how did they fall so atrociously away from God? give you a very short history lesson. German was defeated horribly. Germany was defeated horribly in World War I. They were humiliated and their, their economy was just absolutely shattered. <clears throat> so this guy Hitler comes along and he promises to bring them back to their full glory. He promises to, uh, that Germany is going to be glorious again, glorified. They're going to they're have uh, global prominence and the, Germany, the German country bought into it, but also the German church bought into it. Pastors, ministers, church leaders, they believed this was a good thing, so they started encouraging it. They came to view Hitler as kind of a messiah. Remember that. And they promoted and they elevated him, this political figure, in the church to the point where he was believed to be the hope of the nation. Hitler, not Jesus, became the source of hope for the church. Now, I know this is an extreme example, but don't think for a second that it can't happen to you. And don't think for a second that it can't happen here. It already does. What about churches that host political rallies? What about churches where the pastor allows politicians to get behind the pulpit and preach political messages? partisan political messages. I was told this morning by somebody that a church right here in Valdosta, the pastor got up, passed out sample ballots to his congregation and told his congregation every person they needed to vote for. This stuff happens right. It ain't going to happen here while I'm here. I can tell you that. But it happens here in Valdosta church, church, and it's dangerous. Very, very dangerous. This is an extreme example of what can happen when we start meshing together our faith and our politics. But it happens, maybe on a lower scale, but it happens now. You know, Martin Luther King Jr. Said, had a wonderful quote to say about this in regards to our, the church's role in government. And I think that he hit the nail on the head. He said, the church has to be reminded that it is not the master or the servant of the state, but rather it is the conscience of the state. Not the master or the servant, but the conscience it must be the guide and it must be the critic of the state and never its tool. You think politicians and political parties don't try to use us? But if we can just get that demographic to start voting for us, we're not the tools of the government. 
okay? But that's what happens sometimes. And when this happens, King said, the church becomes an irrelevant social club with no moral or spiritual authority. It's very, very true. Thirdly, we maintain our allegiance to Jesus first by loving and respecting those who disagree with us. You can take that down, Lorelai. I'm tired of looking at it. We maintain our allegiance to Jesus first during the electoral season by loving and respecting those who disagree with us. But I'm going to be perfectly honest with you, church. This is one of those areas where we just fail miserably again so, so often. Church, don't demonize. Don't belittle. Don't guilt trip your brothers and your sisters or anybody else for that matter because they have different views than you do. Understand that Scripture-believing Jesus-following Christians from all walks of life throughout the centuries have come in all kinds of political flavors. Liberals, conservatives, Democrats, Republicans, libertarians, monarchists. John Wesley, the founder of Methodism, was a monarchist. He, absolutely, he loved the British monarchy. That's where he was from. He supported it fully. And here's the thing, folks. They believe as they believe precisely because of their faith, not in spite of it. There is no political ideology. There is no system of politics. There is no system of economics that has the endorsement of God. I know people try to piece together scripture to try to prove their point, but they're all wrong. There is no economic policy or public policy that is supported by God. We're just trying our best to figure it out, and so are those brothers and sisters of ours who think differently than we do, whatever your positions may be. Jesus doesn't have a political ideology, folks, but to listen to the rantings and the ravings of some people on both ends of the political spectrum, you'd never know it. I'm going to be honest with you, it blows my mind, it makes me mad, it makes me sad at the same time when I hear and see some of the things that professing Christians say about the other side, whatever, whatever the other side may be. You can't be a Christian and vote that way. You can't possibly vote, be a Christian and vote for that person. You can't possibly be a Christian and vote Democrat. You can't possibly be a Christian and vote Republican. You can't possibly be a Christian and support or not support this or that policy. Maybe I'm wrong, church, but you know what? I'm not wrong. I have searched, and I have searched, and I have searched, and I have searched, and I have scoured. 66 books of this Bible, from Genesis to Revelation. You know what I haven't found? Anywhere in here that says my salvation or your salvation is dependent on who I vote for or how I vote. Not going to find it. Guess what? It ain't in there. My salvation is based on my faith in Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ alone. So for any pastor to have the nerve to stand behind a pulpit representing God and tell you who you got to vote for, that is nothing short of pastoral and theological malpractice. And it's a shame we can't sue them for it. And I know that some of the big shots in Christianity love to get on television, they love to get on social media, and they love to tell you all that, and they're all wrong. And you can tell them a little no-name preacher from Valdosta, Georgia, said so. 
Folks, we've debated this stuff since the beginning of Christianity. We've debated the role of government. We've debated the, the, the role of war. We've debated the economy. We've debated economy, any other political topic you can possibly think of. Christians have studied the scriptures. They've looked to Jesus. They've prayed. They've sought guidance. And they've come to different conclusions. And just like today, they struggled <laughs> over the centuries in how to respect how to love each other despite their differences. Please consider this, folks. When it comes especially to your brothers and sisters who might disagree with you, please consider the possibility that they love Jesus every bit as much as you do. And give them the same love and respect that you would want them to give you. Same thing goes for non-Christians you may disagree with. Our consciences, our words, our actions... We are truly Jesus' first people. Are always fueled by love, mercy, grace, compassion, and humility. Anything less is not Jesus. Lastly, we remember our allegiance to Jesus first by remembering that we are called for our government and for our government leaders. 1 Timothy chapter 2, verses 1 through 4. Paul instructs Timothy with these words. He says, I urge you, first of all, to pray for people. Ask God to help them, intercede on their behalf, and give thanks for them. Pray this way for kings and all who are in authority so that we can live peaceful and quiet lives marked by godliness and dignity. This is good, and it pleases God our Savior, who wants everyone to be saved and to understand the truth. I want you to notice what Paul says and how he instructs Timothy. He says to pray for, for your leaders, not against your leaders. And there's a big difference some of y'all may not have cared for our last president. Some of y'all may not have cared, might not care for our first for our current president. But I'm gonna tell you what, if Paul can instruct the church to pray for Caesar and the Roman government, who were literally killing and arresting people, Christians, certainly we could suck up our pride and vote for the good of somebody we'll probably never meet we just happen to disagree with over some issues that not, are not going to matter 100 years from now. Pray for them. Pray for their good. Pray for them to surround themselves with wise counsel. Pray for them to surround themselves with godly people, with Jesus-like people. People who are led by the desire to see other people thrive in general. People who are led by the desire for peace all of the values of the kingdom of God. Pray for our leaders, not against them. Church, our allegiance is to Jesus first in everything. Our allegiance is to our call and our commitment to live out the commandments and his teachings in every aspect of our lives. I think we like to, I think we like to separate these things sometimes. Like I'm, supposed to, like I'm supposed to practice 
love and mercy and grace and forgiveness and hospitality and generosity and patience in my personal relationships. But all that stuff don't apply to the way that I think about the political world. Absolute nonsense. Jesus applies to every aspect of our lives. And we don't all get it right. I don't get it right. I ain't going to lie to you. Sit here like I'm some kind of perfect thing. I don't. I'm not. But I recognize the calling at least. So if my dedication, if my allegiance to some kind of form of politics or whatever causes me to be anything but loving, caring, kind, generous, hospitable, I probably need to nix one of those. Which one needs to be nixed? Jesus first. It is not worth. Here's my last point, I promise you. None of this, none of this is worth dividing the church. None of it. Yet it consistently and continually does. None of this is worth dividing the church. None of this is worth messing up our relationships with our brothers and sisters, first of all, on matters that don't matter. Not to the church they don't matter. It's not worth it. If that's causing you to mess up your relationships, you've got to pick one. Secondly, and lastly, none of this is worth us preventing an unsaved person from coming into the church of Christ. So if we can't contain, if we can't rein in our political rhetoric a little bit because we're preventing somebody else from coming into the church, it's not worth it, folks. Sometimes we just got to choose. Sometimes we got to sometimes we got to open that one up. I don't have my phone on me, but cut that one off. Allow this to influence us. More than cable news, social media. I want to recommend, y'all know I like to recommend books to you. So I'm going to wrap it up with this. Um, Andy Stanley, I've talked about him before. Uh, he's, a, he's a pastor up in the Atlanta area. Um, excellent book on, on where we are today in, in America and how the church is involved some of the mistakes that we're making and, and how, we, how we can do better. We can do so much better, church. But anyway, the name of it is Not In It to Win It. It's a, it's a weird, it's a strange title. I wish you would have titled it something differently. Uh, but a lot of it has to do with some of the stuff I've been talking about this morning. And, 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 a, and, and he brings, he's a, lot, a heck of a lot smarter than I'll ever be. Uh, so he, and he brings out some, some other points, some more current topics. But if you, if you want to explore this a little, a little bit more, um, Take a look at this. It's an easy read. It's an easy read. It's a fairly quick read. Not, not in it to win it. Gracious Heavenly Father, it's so easy to get distracted. It's so easy to allow competing allegiances to pull us away from our commandments to be like Jesus. God, if we are exercising anything in our lives, anything in our minds, our hearts, words, actions, if we're exercising anything beyond generosity, love, mercy, compassion, humility, God, we're not being like Jesus. 
Give us that desire. Help us, God, to fix and choose the right allegiance. Help us, God, to be followers. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit.